Welcome back to the Durst Show. It uh, was Donald Trump all the time for the last few days, but today, no Trump talk. Well, during the letter period, there'll probably be some Trump talk, but the first part of the show where I'm going to talk about something different, something that doesn't involve Donald Trump, at least it doesn't involve him directly. I want to talk about yesterday's election. I want to talk about several other elections that have occurred where the issue of abortion has essentially been on the ballot. And in general, not everywhere, not every election, but in general, candidates who support a woman's right to choose, at least at some point in the pregnancy, have been winning. It turns out that the vast majority of Americans, the vast majority of Americans, not necessarily the majority of vocal Americans, but the vast majority of Americans believe that a woman should have the choice to terminate a pregnancy, at least at the early stages of the pregnancy. Now, you know, there's no consensus of whether that's a month, two months, three months, six months. Many Americans, perhaps most, think that a woman should not have the right to terminate an eight-month pregnancy. If the fetus can emerge healthy, viable, uh, and the woman could end her pregnancy at that point by delivering a child, an unwanted child, that could be adopted, a majority of Americans, and I think a majority of thoughtful people, think that's the right course. I'm not here going to give you my views. They're complicated. They're, you know, as usual, they're very nuanced. But I just want to report on what I think is going on out there. Let me start with Roe versus Wade. In 1973, when Roe versus Wade was decided, I stated publicly, I stated in my classes, that I thought this was a tremendous boon for the right-wing evangelical uh, Christian uh, Republicans, that it um, it basically for a while took the issue of abortion out of politics where abortion was winning uh, and, and the right to life was losing uh, in the court of public opinion and at the polls. And it basically gave a free ride to centrist Republicans like George H.W. Bush and and others to say, look, look, we're, we're, we're against abortion, uh, but it doesn't matter because the Supreme Court has ruled, and so our views don't matter, so we can now say we're against abortion. And that way, they don't alienate the suburban voters, the people who are more libertarian Republicans, fathers and mothers who have daughters that could become or had become uh, uh, pregnant. Um, those issues are not any longer in politics. It was decided by the Supreme Court, taken away from millions and millions of Americans and handed to nine in those days, nine men to decide the rights of women. So I was always very ambivalent about Roe versus Wade. I didn't think it was a particularly compelling legal uh, argument written by Justice Blackman. Clearly, he wrote it with his heart. And with his gut, not necessarily with his mind. In fact, he told people that he had no choice but to write it because his daughters and his wife insisted. And I can tell you, I know how insistent 
a wife and daughter and granddaughter <clears throat> can be. Today is my 35th wedding anniversary. And I forgot about it until my wife reminded me. And I think I'm still going to have to pay for that somehow. Um, sorry, I just, I forgot, you know, and, and, and it's my fault and I shouldn't have done it, but I did. But it's my 35th anniversary. And, um, and I listen to my wife a lot. She doesn't think I listen to her enough, but I listen to her a lot. In fact, she didn't think I should have defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate. And of course, she's bearing most of the consequences of that because I have a thick skin and I can deal with it. But she who was opposed to me doing this is bearing a lot of the brunt of it. And I didn't listen to her uh, that time. And I didn't listen to her in terms of going back to the Senate and answering questions which resulted in my lawsuit against CNN. So I make a pledge on my 35th anniversary. I'm going to listen to my wife a little bit more. Look, you got to eventually make up your own mind about things. But uh, my mind is often a function not only of my experiences, but the people I love and the people around me. And, and, and my wife's views are very, very important to me. <clears throat> In any event, going back to Roe versus Wade, I wrote and spoke back then and said this is going to help uh, the Republicans. And what it basically did is it ended pro-choice Republicans. President Bush, the first President Bush was a pro-choice uh, Republican. And, and generally, the people who were then called Rockefeller Republicans, kind of centrist, fiscal Republicans, not part of the evangelical group, not particularly religious in the sense of using religion as part of politics, um, they disappeared. They disappeared. They became supporters of the right to life because it was a free choice. They could do it. Nobody would vote against them because the Supreme, on the basis of that, because the Supreme Court had already established and guaranteed a woman's right to abortion. But now that the Supreme Court has said we're out of the game, uh, we're no longer going to impose on the states a constitutional right of every woman to have an abortion, even up to a certain time. And of course, in the Supreme Court decision reversing Roe, they didn't have to do it. All they had to do was decide after 15 weeks, abortion was illegal. They could have done that easily. They didn't do that. They reached out, judicial activism, and they struck down Roe versus Wade. And now they're paying a price for it. I mean, to the extent that the folks who wanted to strike down Roe versus Wade are Republicans, and most of them are, they're going to pay for that at the polls. Um, when abortion becomes an issue, as it did, for, for example, in one of the major contested congressional races in New York, um, you had two candidates, one of whom was strongly pro-choice and the other of whom vacillated and suggested maybe he was uh, pro-life. Um, the pro-choice candidate won in Kansas, where the issue was on a referendum. It wasn't to permit all abortions, but it wasn't to outlaw. I mean, it was a referendum kind of that favored a woman's right to choose at most, most points in her pregnancy. And that one, and I predict here and now that in most, not every state, I'm not predicting what's going to happen to Mississippi and Alabama, but I am predicting what's going to happen not only in Kansas, but in many states like Kansas, which tend to be Republican, but not 
overwhelmingly Republican. Um, I think that's going to be true in Pennsylvania. I think it's going to be true in many, many other states that have been, you know, close at the ballot. I think the overruling of Roe versus Wade may very well tip the balance in favor of candidates who at least support the woman's right to choose abortion at some stage in the pregnancy. Now, the debate generally has been very extreme. Um, uh, the most vocal people on both sides, on the one hand, are the right to lifers who say the moment of conception is the moment when life begins. And a one-day-old zygote, zygote is no different than a 14-year-old teenager. I mean, that A is an absurd view. Uh, it's an absurd view legally. It's an absurd view medically. It's an absurd view religiously. Well, I won't say religiously because you can have a view that... Uh, the soul uh, enters the body on the first day. But I think even religious people don't time, you'll correct me on this, the soul to the moment of conception. I mean, at the point of conception, what we have there are just the, 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 the joining of cells and an amazing miracle, an amazing miracle. You know, I've never thought evolution ever fully explained of procreation. Um, I believe in evolution, obviously, but I don't think it explains everything. Procreation is one of those things it doesn't explain. And, you know, if you ever want to make the case for miracles and for God, I think procreation is the place uh, to make it. Um, it's such an amazing, remarkable concept that a sperm can, you know, hit an egg and that a human being can be created out of that. Just, just, my mind can't go, can't grasp it and can't get around it. Um, uh, I'm still obviously skeptical about everything. I'm skeptical about evolution. I'm skeptical about religion. I'm skeptical about politics. I'm skeptical, skeptical about the law. I'm only not skeptical about my love for my wife and, and my family. About that, I have no skepticism. But I do think that the debate has been extreme. On the one hand, a one-day-old zygote has the right to life that trumps a woman's right to choose. She can't even take the morning after pill. That's one extreme view. The other extreme view, and I quote it in one of my articles, is by Florence Kennedy, one of those who was the most active in favor of a woman's right to choose, who basically said that an abortion is like an appendicitis operation, an appendix operation, removing a fetus. And she didn't say how old is just like removing an appendix. No, 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 it, it isn't. Nobody has ever regretted removing an appendix. Nobody has ever had to spend time terma. Oh my God, this poor appendix, should I remove it? it? It's a potential, what? It's a potential piece of garbage. Yeah, remove it and throw it away. Um, yeah, if you have certain religious views, bury it, okay. But it's gone, it's an appendix. That's why they call it an appendix. It's not necessary. It's useless. So it's an appendix. Get rid of it. Uh, but extremists say that uh, a fetus is no different than an appendix. That, too, is absurd and wrong. The debate is about when, not whether. I mean, the, the overwhelming majority of Americans uh, support a woman's and a man's right to use birth control. And they support a woman, particularly if she has the support of the potential father, to abort a one-day 
pregnancy, a one-month pregnancy, a two-month pregnancy. The debate begins at about that point. Most don't support the right to abort an eight- or nine-month pregnancy unless it endangers the health of the woman, and that becomes a separate and complete debate. My religion, Judaism, always favors the health of the woman over the fetus so that even if it's a relatively mature fetus, if the health of the woman or the life of the woman would be endangered by birthing the the child, Jewish law permits abortion, maybe even requires abortion at at that point if the woman chooses to have it. Other religions have a very, very different view. But the debate really has to center about when, not whether. Um, And that's what it could have been in the Mississippi case, 15 weeks. That's an interesting time. I would make it much, much longer. But many women could have abortions within 15 weeks. Some women are not even aware that they're pregnant in 15 weeks, particularly when you have very poor and very uneducated uh, people. Um, They may not have the kind of sex education um, that um, uh, gives them insight enough to know that in 15 weeks or 13 weeks or 12 weeks, they're they're pregnant. But that's, that's where the debate should lie. And when reasonable Republicans say that, they're not going to lose at the polls because of that. But when they say right to life begins at day one, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. Just as I think Democrats are going to lose if they say a woman's right to abortion is absolutely unlimited and she could abort in the ninth month. That just will be a losing argument. Americans are rational. They're less polemical than the extremes. The extremes are always very polemical and they get the most play. Obviously, the media loves focusing on the extremes. That sells soap, that sells commercials. That's what CNN has done for years. Breaking news, breaking news. Somebody was run over on the street. Dog bites man, man bites dog. Breaking news. CNN has now announced it will no longer use the logo breaking news for minor, minor events. It will reserve it for serious events. It doesn't want to be any longer accused of crying wolf. Um, but, you know, it's the media that that tends to make the abortion debate into a zero-sum game, an all-or-nothing game. And life is rarely a zero-sum game. Yeah, if you're in the basketball playoffs and it's the New York Liberty, you know, versus Chicago, one's going to win and one's going to lose. I was rooting for the Liberty. They lost. Uh, that's a zero-sum game. They're going home. Um, you know, the Red Sox uh, are losing. The Boston uh, Celtics got to the finals and lost. The Patriots season is, is beginning. Those are zero-sum games. Abortion is not a zero-sum game. Most political issues in America are not zero-sum games. There are some easy ones, very easy ones. Uh, Ukraine is an easy is an easy argument intellectually. Russia is wrong. Ukraine is right. Is is Ukraine perfect? Oh, far from it. But is Russia completely wrong? Absolutely. Perfectly wrong? Absolutely. That's easy. There are other issues that are easier 
uh, political issues, but uh, gay marriage is an easy issue. Nobody should be opposed to it. It's nobody's damn business whether one man, one woman marry people of the same gender. None of your business. Um, interracial marriage, none of your business. Birth control, none of your business. Easy, easy, easy issues. Abortion, hard, difficult, nuanced, complex, controversial issue. And one of the interesting things about Roe versus Wade, it doesn't seem to have changed anybody's mind. Unlike Brown versus Board of Education. Before Brown versus Board of Education, a very substantial percentage of people, particularly in the South, but all over the country, believed in segregated education, believed in segregation generally, segregated housing, segregated education, segregated sports. Many believe that. Remember, people forget baseball was segregated until I went to Ebbets Field and saw Jackie Robinson play for the first time. I actually have a photograph of Jackie Robinson's first at bat. In any event, a lot of people were against against integration. And when Jackie Robinson played, players on the other team, particularly the Philadelphia Phillies, but many teams booed him and mocked him and yelled racial comments at him. That changed. Almost nobody's in favor of segregation today. Almost nobody would say, certainly no candidate, we believe in separate schools. Oh, there are some black leaders who would. We believe in separate schools at Berkeley. There's separate housing, not sponsored by the university, but outside the university. Separate housing uh, for, for, for blacks only. And if a white guest comes or a white parent of a black student comes, they have to notify everybody and get special permission to allow a white person into this uh, black person's space. Imagine if the shoe were on the other foot, if there were a white only house uh, outside of Berkeley and a black parent or a friend would have to get permission, you know, all hell would break loose. But it's okay if the the shoe doesn't have to fit on the other foot when it comes to race in America uh, today. But for the most part, the issue changed with Brown versus Board of Education. The Supreme Court changed minds. It led the way. The same thing was true with much of the civil rights agenda. Roe versus Wade, I certainly don't know anybody whose views would change. I don't know anybody who said, oh, no. I used to be in favor of a right to life. Now I read Justice Blackman's opinion, and I have changed my mind. I challenge anybody to come up with a person who changed their mind. Now, they may have changed their views legally. Say, look, the Supreme Court has said this. I follow the Supreme Court. I'm a lawyer. or I abide by the rule of law. I'm, I now agree that there is a right to have an abortion. But I don't think anybody changed their mind on the underlying issue of choice versus the right to life. And so the decision itself raised questions. I, from my heart, I'm in favor of the decision. I was also very much against overruling it. I don't think 50-year-old precedents should be overruled just because suddenly there are five justices on the Supreme Court who say it should be overruled. It certainly should never have been overruled in the Mississippi case where the issue was not even um, before them. Um, so again, nuance. I can believe an opinion may have been wrong when decided, but should be followed, especially a case like abortion, where it wasn't that wrong. If it was wrong, it was a close case. Reasonable people could support the decision. Reasonable people could oppose it. Justice Ginsburg supported the decision, but not the reasoning. I think I'm in that camp 
as well, but uh, others have different, uh, different views and those views are uh, certainly acceptable. The point I want to make here and the point I made in 1973 and the point I made in 2001 in a book I wrote called Supreme Injustice was that this decision overruling Roe versus Wade is going to backfire politically. It may even impact the current midterm elections. Yesterday we had the primaries in Florida and in New York. My candidate in Florida lost. My candidate in New York lost. Don't count on me for political advice. Um, but those are the primaries. The general election occurs obviously in November. The predictions are that the Democrats will narrowly lose the House and narrowly hold on to the Senate. You didn't hear that from me. I'm just reporting what the predictions currently are based on, on the polls. Um, prior to the overruling of Roe versus Wade, it seemed like the Democrats would lose overwhelmingly in the House. That doesn't look like that's anymore. Is that a result of the overruling of Roe versus Wade? I can't tell. And I'm not even sure pollsters will be able to tell. But if that trend continues, then I think we'll be able to assert with confidence that the overruling of Roe versus Wade did not help the Republican Party. All right, let's turn to some letters here. Let me start with just two that state exactly opposing points of view. I wish you wouldn't encourage hate by showcasing it. If you want less of something, starve it. That was one point. The second point was, it's important to let people know what kind of bigotry you're dealing with. It's sad, but we need to know. Look, I opt for, for the latter. I think you need to know. I don't want to overdo it, and I don't want to give publicity to the people. Um, and I, not only do I get these emails, I get phone calls. I mean, the hate that's out there is absolutely unbelievable. And some of it is anti-Semitic. Some of it on the other side is anti-white. Um, some of it is anti-lawyer. Uh, you know, there's so much of it. But can't people just stop hating? Um, who was it? Rodney King who said, can't we just get together? Or what I said to Larry David, can't we just talk? No, you're disgusting. You padded pat. Uh, Mike Pompeo on the back. I'll never talk to you. You're disgusting. So, you know, that's the attitude that, that we're getting today. And that's the attitude reflected in my letters, and um, I hope that will not continue. Okay. I disagree with you politically, but I have a lot of respect for your integrity. You remind me of John Adams. Well, thank you. That's, that's really, really a high compliment. Well, the early John Adams, you know, the early Elvis, the late Elvis, I would be happy to be identified with your early John Adams, the uh, lawyer who defended the people who were accused of the Boston Massacre. President John Adams, not so much. He was instrumental in getting the Alien and Sedition Act passed. The later, later John Adams, who had great exchanges with, um, with Thomas Jefferson, um, especially the last exchange when they were both on their deathbeds. They died on the same day, 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, exact same day. And uh, I think Adams' last words in his letter were, Jefferson still lives. So maybe Adams lived longer, Jefferson lived longer, but they died on the same day. Again, if you want to really make the case for God, you would probably see something significant that God 
brought to heaven on the same day two opposing founders of the United States, both of whom wrote the Declaration of Independence, but moved in very different directions. So thank you for the comparison to, to John Adams. That's a, it's, a great, it's a great compliment. Um, okay. Professor, does Joe Biden have the constitutional right to forgive a debt owed to the federal government without congressional approval? That's a really good, good question. Is the debt owed to the federal government or is it owed largely to the banks and financial institutions? Well, does he have the right to forgive that? Um, I think it's more complicated. I, I'm not so sure he has that power. I think it'll probably be challenged. The question is who has standing to challenge it. Um, it should have gone through Congress. It would have been much better to go through Congress. Again, here, this one is a zero-sum game. If some kid owes $100,000 um, and doesn't have to pay it, some institution is losing $100,000. You can't just print an additional $100,000 and, and give it to the kid. Well, some people think you can, but <clears throat> that won't happen. Please discuss the ethical and legal issues arising from all the leaks the, the DOJ regarding the Mar-a-Lago search. Well, first, you have to determine who was the source of the leaks. Um, I've had a lot of cases with, with leaks, and sometimes it's one side, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's an agent at this level, sometimes it's a chief, sometimes it's a prosecutor. Um, I know that that is true. I have seen prosecutorial leaks. I've litigated prosecutorial leaks, and I think it's very, very important to, to, to hold people responsible for their leaks. Um, okay, this is a good one. In light of your statement that a president should not press criminal process against a future opponent, what about a president and the DOJ investigating a candidate from another party? This is what happened in 2016. Should we have a rule similar to the one you stated that there should be no investigation unless the nature of the crime meets the Nixon standard? And please do not go to dust quickly. This is from that guy the other day wanting me to go to dust. I think we need some institutional change. I think it might be useful to have Congress pass a statute saying that any time an incumbent administration is investigating the opposing administration, particularly somebody who might run for president, an institution outside of the Justice Department should do the investigation. Call them special counsel, call them special office for non-political investigation. And I think ideally, the investigator, the chief investigator should come from the party of the person being investigated. So for example, if the decision is made maybe to prosecute Donald Trump, I don't think that decision is, is going to be made. But if it were to be made, I think it would be much wiser for the attorney general to appoint a moderate centrist Republican with Take, for example, David Souter, who was a justice of the Supreme Court, appointed by a Republican uh, president. And there are many other people like that, moderate Republicans. Uh, so as to make sure the issue is not completely partisan. And then that special counsel would make a recommendation uh, to the attorney general. Now, we now know that you know, there was a recommendation of to the attorney general not to prosecute 
of President Trump in 2019. Uh, there was a movement afoot to prosecute him for obstruction of justice over the Russia stuff. And a thorough investigation was conducted um, and, and the decision was made not to prosecute him. Now, that was by obviously a Republican Justice Department. Now we have a Democrat Justice Department. So I think institutional change is necessary. It would be difficult. I'm not generally in favor of special counsel, special investigators, because they usually they have a target painted on the back. Uh, so um, I think that's I think that's perhaps the right approach. See you next week.